so we are back again. We're back again. For another edition of Bibliotheques, and Cody looks very snuggled up right now. <laughs> it's extremely cold in the basement that we've established our, uh, where we're going to start recording everything for the media conglomerate that we've started for yes. ourselves right here. Um, <laughs> it also doesn't help that the entrance to the basement is just one staircase and to mute out sound from the upstairs, we have put up a barrier um, that, that traps all the cold down here. It's also just the jankiest looking thing ever. It's literally a blanket tied to a cooler draped over the railing. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> rudimentary. It's a very, very charitable explanation. Yes, exactly, for it. exactly. But anyway, getting into what we're actually here to talk about. Um, last week we finished The Hobbit, and we're continuing on with J.R. Tolkien's uh, epic saga, getting into The Lord of the Rings, starting with the first book, uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Congratulations to us, really. We made it through The Hobbit. If you uh, are just decided to join us because you only want to care about The Lord of the Rings trilogy, that's great. Um, we'll go. We went through the entire Hobbit, and there's a little bit of that for context that they talk about in the first chapter, especially of Fellowship yeah. of the Ring. So I'm just going to do a quick little recap of that. Bilbo some time ago, specifically uh, 60 years ago um, when we start um, the Fellowship of the Ring, left unexpectedly on a journey. Um, not much of what he did is known to the hobbits um, of Hobbiton and the Shire. But all they know is that after his many adventures with dwarves and wizards and something involving a dragon, he came back um, after being presumed dead with sacks of gold on his pony and Basically, he came back already far wealthier than he already was. He wasn't poor when he left. He was pretty well-to-do, came back exceedingly wealthy, probably the wealthiest person in the Shire. Right, so there's rumors going around about, first of all, hobbits don't really like people from outside of the Shire. At best, they're kind of wary of them. Yeah. Um, And this is no different for a hobbit who was to leave the Shire and then come back. They just think it's kind of odd. Mm -hmm. So there's a bunch of rumors about him kind of hoarding away treasure in his halls, in his hobbit hole. Um, Yeah, so he's just clearly the most kind of famous and also mysterious hobbit in Hobbiton. Yep. So that's a little bit of uh, where we are now. Mm -hmm. Um, The beginning is uh, chapter one, a long expected party, which is a great little nod back to the first chapter of the Hobbit, which is the first uh, chapter's title is an unexpected party in which 12 dwarves and Gandalf descend onto Bilbo's house um, Mm -hmm. in the Shire, make a big mess of things and kind of bamboozle him into going on this uh, big adventure with them. Now the opposite is the case. Bilbo is turning 111 years old. He has been plotting this huge party for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, no one in the Shires really know why, but he's been giving out invitations to every hobbit that has like a registered address. Everyone is invited. He plans on spending a lot of money on this. People um, in the Shire have been seeing dwarves coming into town with provisions and toys. Um, there's a great reference again to the Hobbit that a bunch of the toys that were given out in gift bags to the children had brands from Dale and no one knows where that is, but Dale is um, the land uh, where Lake Town was. And there's a ton of events from the Hobbit. If you want to hear all about Dale and uh, the shit that goes down there, feel free to listen to episodes one through five of Bibliotakes. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a ton of great references to the um, Hobbit there and all the basically friends that Bilbo's made in his adventures um, in the tale of there and back again. Mm-hmm. He's cashing in all these favors right now. He has beautiful. Um, and this is we, we talk a lot about uh, Tolkien's ability to describe mm-hmm. um food drink events locations comfort he really he really goes off in this first chapter you you think you almost think that 
Tolkien sees himself as a hobbit of sorts. Yes. Because like it's it's a hobbit stuff that he describes so much more willingly than anything else. Mm-hmm. And he also describes that when the hobbits are living like their best life, mm-hmm. that is when he goes into the most detail. He's so yeah. excited to talk about like when hobbit life is doing great, this is what it looks like and this is why it's the way it is. He talks about how uh, Bilbo's like wine collection is insane with all these imported wines and reds and stuff. He um, talks about how um, the party he's established on his land is a sin- is just tons of massive red and white carnival tents. Yep. Um, tons of great stuff. And then there's also an old man with a gray cloak and a blue hat and eyebrows that go past the brim of his hat. We know who that is. That's I Gandalf. love that he used the same description. He's exact same description. So everyone knows that's Gandalf. Gandalf comes with a bunch of fireworks and all these kids are like pumped to see fireworks because uh, it's really rare. Um, and he has fireworks that shoot off in the form of dragons. They're like performative fireworks. They're really cool, but no one knows that it's Gandalf. And Gandalf is the only one who's like of the faraway people out of the Shire that is named, but there's a bunch of dwarves that come. Yeah. And it seems I like they're just kind of helping out Bilbo for mm-hmm. things that are to come later. Yeah, but. for sure. Uh, so basically Bilbo, um, and we also learned that Bilbo has an heir. Bilbo never married. He never had kids, but one of his nephew is named Frodo yep. and Frodo was always a good kid, but then his parents died yep. and uh, unexpectedly very quickly. It was on a, a boat on a boat. Yep. Yeah. So they both drowned his yeah. Drogo is his uh, father's name. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, we hear that all the time, like Frodo son of Drogo. So that's the only reason I bring that up. But yeah, uh, there's rumors that his mom pushed his dad over and like, and like, t- like capsized the boat but yeah so like frodo has this reputation similar to bilbo as being kind of this rambunctious young hobbit who's more kind of adventurous than people are used to yep and so when bilbo basically saw that this kid was going to be an orphan and living in um, a part of the shire called uh brandy bush brandy buck brandy buck yes. um he was basically like I'm not going to have it. You're going to be my heir. Come on, live with me. Much to the ire of the Sackville Bagginses, who are very not fun, which we will meet them later. And we met them already uh, shortly, briefly, I should say, in The Hobbit. Yeah. We get more of them now. Yeah. (laughs) And they're unhappy because they were going to be the heirs to Bilbo's great fortune. And now he's like, nope, Frodo's in line now. He's the one who's basically going to inherit everything. Uh, Frodo doesn't really do a lot in the first chapter, but that's fine. He's pretty much just there. He's there to be like helping Bilbo be a magnanimous host in um when they're everyone's at underhill and And they happen to have the same birthday they do so that's another thing that really um makes uh bilbo and frodo's connection special uh on the same day that um bilbo is turning 111 frodo is turning 33 which is the age in which hobbits come to their own so that's the um come to adulthood yeah it's it's the that's the that's the like age of adulthood in like colloquially for hobbits right so like he was basically like in his 20s and you just kind of like do whatever and then once you turn 33 and hobbits obviously live a lot longer than people or like can Mm -hmm. but yeah so there's this party going down it's a big ass party everybody's getting drunk everybody's there everybody's getting wasted gandalf is crushing it on the fireworks i want to lead a little bit because token's description of fireworks is really cool quote there were rockets like fight like a flight of scintillating birds singing with sweet voices. There were green trees with trunks of dark smoke. Their leaves opened like a whole spring unfolding in a moment and their shining branches dropped glowing flowers down upon the astonished hobbits disappearing with a sweet scent just before they touched their feet 
um, and touched their upturned faces. There were fountains of butterflies that flew glittering into trees. There were pillars of colored fires that rose and turned into eagles or sailing ships or a phalanx of flying swans. There was a red thunderstorm and a shower of yellow rain. There was a forest of silver spears that sprang suddenly into the air with a yell like an embattled army. There was down again into the water with a hiss like a hundred hot snakes. Just the ultimate, one of the ultimate examples of like show don't tell Mm -hmm. like he activates like a ton of your senses with that like how hot the fireworks were so you feel it on your skin the fireworks smell really good or interesting Mm -hmm. or appropriate there's every single color of the rainbow that you could describe in that little paragraph yeah and the hobbit's reaction to him is hilarious too just because hobbits you you get this idea that they like just enough excitement you know they love all of the fireworks you were just describing and then it comes to when Gandalf lights off this red gold dragon that swoops down over everybody at this party. And they're just kind of like, mm, that's too much. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're like, nah, not about that. Yeah. They were unhappy <laughs> with that. Just, just like, it's so funny that like, they'll just definitely like take everything that you're giving to them. And then the moment that it's like a little bit too much or they don't like it, they're just like, oh yeah, bad. Don't like it anymore. And it's obvious that these parties, which none are as grandiose, even close to the one that Bilbo's throwing, but it's clear that it's for the guests. Mm-hmm. It's not to, I mean, it's to celebrate the person, but it's this extravagant kind of show that they're putting on almost. Yep. And in, um, cause the other hobbits are just judging the entire time. Oh yeah, for sure. And in, ho- in hobbit culture, you don't get presents on your birthday. You give them, mm-hmm. which is a custom that basically guarantees that you're getting presents all the time, as long as you're popular and getting invited to parties and stuff. Yep. Um, so they're all pumped because Bilbo is really rich and he has all these goodie bags for everyone. That's super great. So that's why no one's really missing it. And that's for like basically just the general population of the party. I assume like he was talking about how there were like at least like 1500 people at this party and, and, but then there's a private uh, dinner of 144, which is called a grog. Yeah. Of Which is like the number for like, 12 times 12. Yeah, it's this name that they consider... No, a gross. A gross, yeah. which is basically like an insult to call a group of people, but is the correct term for a one group of 144. 144 of anything other than people is considered a gross, but as soon as like it's people you're counting, you're not supposed to use that term. Which is funny. Um, yeah. This is a, I just remember <laughs> reading, reading yeah. that and just being like, fine. These fucking pretentious... Whatever, right, whatever. Right. Anyway. This, there's Bilbo's, plenty of Bilbo's ways giving to get us, sidetracked in this Yeah, chapter. there's... <laughs> Like Bilbo's giving the speech to the family, he's talking about how you know I, I'm old. I've got all these people here, but he tries to get everyone's attention with uh, "My dear people," began Bilbo, rising in his place. Here, here, here! They all shouted and kept kept on repeating in chorus, seeming reluctant to follow their own advice. Like people just telling everyone to shut up, but not shutting up. Like <laughs> Tolkien's definitely been to like a million weddings where yeah, like, something yeah, dumb has exactly. happened. There's just a ton of very in these first couple chapters, a ton of really great just descriptors of crowds or people also just the names of some of these hobbits are fucking hilarious grubs and chubs <laughs> i love that yeah anyway and uh, so so bilbo basically announces that he's like was like well you're all here and this is great i hope you enjoyed the party because i'm gone bye slips on the ring no one knows what that is but he basically just disappears and with a little help from gandalf shoots off some light and basically the guy's gone and the hobbits have no idea what's going on and they're all like did Gandalf just kill Bilbo? <laughs> right, yeah. They just can't really comprehend it and anything like that. And they're super confused. They really are unsure what's going on. And pretty unhappy about it, too. Yeah. <laughs> but this is when we learn that Bilbo has planned to leave the Shire yep. after this party. He was like, I'm sick of living in the Shire. 
I want Frodo to have like all my money. He can just do whatever he wants with it. Um, but I need to leave. I need to, I miss the wild. I miss adventures. I want to have one more before I'm gone from the earth. And he expresses a weariness, a, a feeling of being stretched like butter over bread. And that'll be important a little bit later, but he comes back to his house and he's basically getting ready to pack. He's getting ready to leave. And he puts the ring, the one ring that we all know and love in an envelope and sets it aside in his note for Frodo. He's, giving Frodo the ring but just as the last second comes he picks up the envelope and puts it in his pocket and is at to walk out and right at that moment Gandalf returns Gandalf anticipated that he would try to not leave the ring as they apparently agreed upon and a little bit of a confrontation goes up Bilbo is really reluctant to give up the ring he's saying well it's mine and I've had it for a while I've taken really good care of it I know it's powerful but there's no reason why I should have to give it up. And even eventually calls it his precious, which is a yeah. massive red flag to Gandalf and Gandalf. If there was any doubt that if there's any chance that he Gandalf maybe would have let him leave with the ring, it's gone now. Yeah. And this is a really important part of the book, especially for us having just read the Hobbit because we've been introduced to the ring already, but in the Hobbit, the ring is seen mostly as kind of just a valuable tool mm-hmm. and we don't, understand entirely with the exception of Gollum, the effect that the ring can have on anybody. But again, in the Hobbit, it doesn't go really in depth with that in this chapter, right off the bat in this book, you realize like, okay, this ring is bad news. It's got this really, I mean, addictive doesn't seem like a strong enough word. It is it. You can tell, and especially later in the chapter, it has a mind of its own. It does. It truly is a force of will attached onto a completely sheer golden ring. And it's, it's obvious that it's capable of making its carrier, its bearer, uh, entirely different from their, you know, typical state. So it's, it's, and even later in like the next chapter, it'll almost have like, a parasitic host relationship with whoever is holding entirely. Yeah. Anyway, Gandalf essentially goes serious wizard mode. Oh yeah. On him. Gets, gets real mad. Gets real (laughs) mad. Like, Oh, I'm not trying to rob you. It essentially is like, you're giving me the ring. You're not going to give me the ring. Cause he, he doesn't want to like touch it or do anything like that. But he just says, put it out of your pocket and get out of here. And as soon as he's able to just wrestle that away from Bilbo, Bilbo's like, Oh wow. Yep. I had, it's not, it's, it's gone. It's out of my possession. And once it's actually gone and he gets out of the door, he hops on a carriage with um, the dwarves that were helping him and he leaves. It is, it's immediately like he was like, yep, once he's gone, gotten rid of it, then it's great. But it's just the buildup to getting rid of it was so intense. Yeah. He a really strong back and forth with Gandalf trying to negotiate with him essentially. And the point where Bilbo is leaving out of the door and he's like, you're right. I should leave it here for Frodo. Frodo should have it. And he's about to walk out the door and Gandalf says, Hey, yo, still in your pocket like what are you doing yep. and Bilbo's like oh yeah I completely forgot like mm-hmm. after basically just being told several times that he shouldn't take it with him like it's just so obvious that this thing has such a like strong grip on it oh yeah it's you can tell right away that the ring is bad news which is different from what he described in the Hobbit like you said just a really powerful tool we don't know a lot about it but also like it's only helped him so far so yeah but now Lily right away the tone is different. The tone is different in this book completely, but we'll just move on now. And then, so Frodo's like, Oh, where's, where's Bilbo? Did he not leave? Cause he was like basically like cleaning up, shaking hands, thanking people for being there. Uh, 
He comes back, finds Bilbo's will. Bilbo's will basically says, Frodo, you get everything except for some miscellaneous things that were given to different people. And we know that the Sackville Baggins are um, not the favorite of Bilbo because he just leaves them a bunch of spoons, yeah. which I got to respect Bilbo's pettiness. Like, yeah, yeah. He's so funny. Because if you remember at the end of The Hobbit, when Bilbo gets back from his adventure and all of those hobbits are like divvying up all his shit, yeah. he like never is able to recover like these silver spoons and he's positive that the Sackville Bagginses is have them. Yeah. And they definitely do. They definitely <laughs> do because they're so mad. Yeah. Anyway, we're moving on. Basically he, uh, the Sackville Baggins has come in and they kind of front him. He's like, Bilbo's gone. We want what's like, we deserve it. We were like, uh, so it's a Sancho and Lavelia or Otho and Lobelia Sackville Baggins. Yeah. And they yeah. they were originally Lotho and Otho. Yeah. They were originally Bilbo's heirs. Frodo basically says, uh, tough shit. Yep. Uh, it's mine. Take your spoons and, uh, get the hell out of here. Uh, and he does Gandalf presents the ring to Frodo and is like of, of other things here. We, you know, his a special ring. You know about the ring. You heard about how he picked it up, how he won it from Gollum, all this stuff. Frodo's heard the stories of Bilbo's travels probably hundreds of times at this point. Right. So he's like, Oh cool. I get the ring. And he's like, yep. And you got to promise me. Keep you're not secret. Keep, keep it safe. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. Don't fuck with it. Don't like use it. If you, if you don't have to very um, adamant about not and, using it. Yep. And then he's like, I'm, and then he's like, he's like I'm going to go do some stuff. I'm going to do wizard business. I'm going to be back. And then Frodo's like, Oh, Gandalf, you're leaving. And I'm just like, dude, you got to get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> because this is a, this is just a continuous theme. Obviously we experienced this in the Hobbit where Gandalf will just take off whenever he wants to. But in this chapter and the one following it, we just keep we keep getting this where Gandalf will show up, pop in for a bit and then take off. And like, you never know how long he's going to be gone or when he's going to come back. Because he says, he's like, oh, I'll be back. And they're like, well, how will we know? And he's like, you know what? You're going to know. He's like, whatever. When I like, get really there, honest. I get there. Yeah. But yeah, the, basically it ends with him getting the ring and uh, Gandalf promising to be back in a bit to explain things. Right. I have to laugh at And then Bilbo is just... <laughs> Or not Bilbo, Frodo saying, basically I was, it ends with Frodo being like, oh, I thought that you were going to stay. Are you, are you sure you're not going to like hang out? And then the reader going, oh my, my boy. <laughs> my sweet, sweet, innocent Frodo. Yeah. You have much to learn. And that's the end of chapter one. Essentially just a massive description of a bunch of uh, party favors. Um, really just a tour de force of Tolkien flexing his noun descriptor absolutely absolutely very descriptive uh very descriptive chapter but that brings us to the second chapter uh which is called the shadow of the past um it starts off pretty innocent where we get uh kind of just a description of frodo and kind of his goings on in uh bag end um kind of getting used to being the master of his own house he grows to enjoy it at the same time, we start getting introduced to some of the other people that live in Hobbiton, including Samwise Gamgee, who is Frodo's gardener. And Sam is introduced as a character who loves hearing about these stories that are coming into town from all over Middle Earth. Uh, there are these rumors of kind of ominous signs gathering around the Shire. Uh, so naturally, that's part of the reason why this chapter is called Shadow of the Past. But we start hearing about giants uh, marching about um, and different evil things kind of springing up uh, that we're not really used to hearing about in the Shire. And uh, Tolkien really kind of 
shows us that when word of the outside is coming from a hobbit, it's dubious at best just because of the isolationist nature of the Shire. Exactly. Every single bit of info that you could get is secondhand of a secondhand of a secondhand piece of information. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they talk about how like men don't come to the Shire. They are aware of elves existing, but elves haven't really been seen in the Shire in a elves long time. Elves use the Shire as like essentially just a drive through town yeah. uh, to get from the west, the very west of Middle Earth, which is unknown to the hobbits, but apparently the elves know about it, but they don't even stop to ask them what's going on. They'll never even interact with anyone new. Yeah, they get to the sea. Yeah, exactly, where they sail off never to return again. So that's all just very mysterious. But anyway, back to what's actually happening in this chapter. So a lot of rumors going on that we kind of get introduced to some unimportant characters as well as Sam. Um Anyway, we get told that Gandalf comes back after nine years of being away from the Shire um, since his last visit. Uh, And he goes to Frodo immediately and they start discussing the ring because Gandalf initially left with this kind of sneaking suspicion that this ring was in fact the one ring, the most kind of evil, powerful ring that there's ever been in existence Mm -hmm. um, in this world. So a ring of power that's capable of making mortal men lose their souls, essentially. And if you are a non-mortal race, you just get more power than you know what to do with. Yeah. Um, So he thinks it's that. And he comes back talking to Frodo and he tests this by taking the ring and throwing it into the fire in bag end with Frodo and he asks Frodo after taking it out of the fire to hold it and Frodo catches it and it's cold. It's not hot at all, but around which you'd think it would be after throwing it in the fire. Yes. For those of you who aren't following my train of thought, but basically you get this, these two bands of lettering both on the inside of the ring and the outside of the ring, uh, which we get, the elven runes of um but what they read is one ring to rule them all one ring to find them one ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them and that's part of a a longer elvish proverb um that really isn't super important but it's really pretty so i think it might be worth reading the whole thing yeah go ahead um so it goes three rings for the elven kings under the sky seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone nine for mortal men doomed to die one for the dark lord on his dark throne in the land of mordor where the shadows lie one ring to rule them all one ring to find them one ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them in the land of mordor where the shadows lie so that's really important because we get both we know based on this passage that this is the one ring. This is the dark Lord's ring. Um, this just super powerful, evil, almost just presence that we were introduced to in the Hobbit mm-hmm. because he had a hold in Mirkwood. That's part of the dark kind of ominous feeling in Mirkwood. He got driven out by Gandalf. Um, and now, um, for reasons that we will soon hear knows that his ring is in existence. Yeah, Gandalf is essentially a really crucial narrative tool for Tolkien in this chapter. Just because of how wise he is and how long he's been around Middle-earth, Tolkien is able to really use him as a catalyst for explaining the historical context of the ring to the reader. The poem that Paul just read is essentially a very nice summary of the story that um, 
in the land of Mordor, there was an elvish like king for a specific Mordor race of elves whose name was Sauron. Mm -hmm. And he forged these rings of power and gave them to elves, gave uh, three to the elf um, kingdoms, uh, seven to the dwarves and nine to the mortal men. The elves essentially were like, oh, cool, but I don't like the sound of this and buried them deep. Mm hmm in the ground or in safes and basically never use them. The dwarves were the ones who were like, these are really pretty and I assume they're powerful, but some of them got lost among treasure. A couple of them were eaten by dragons and yeah. uh, Tolkien describes that dragon fire is one of the things that's powerful enough to destroy these rings that when they were eaten by the dragons that the dragons got more powerful and they just melted them. But the race of men, they loved it. The power immediately corrupted um, the nine mortal kings um, who took them and they became ring wraith, essentially just warrior slaves to Sauron. Yeah, they're basically living dead because they've lost all physical shape almost. Mm -hmm. They're described as being invisible because they've basically part of the description of the ring is what it does to you eventually is you become consumed by it and your body permanently come becomes invisible so so these yeah. men i wanted to i wanted to talk about that that's a go for it well yeah i'm into like not like right now but yeah oh. like I, I'll, I'll take it over just because i did put it in a note that sure. it's funny that the ring's power is to turn invisible when that's the very extreme conclusion of its corruption capabilities that stretching yeah. you so thin that you disappear except for your soul and it's and gandalf used the same descriptor that uh bilbo was talking about how i'm old and i'm given you but i'm given like the the uh look of youth the hobbits talked about how bilbo looked pretty young for his age but he felt so stretched he felt so thin that was the ring wearing on him after all those years where every day becomes laborious basically mm -hmm. they talked about every moment being being harder and harder even though you can be really old and not look at a day you know older than when you got the ring but yeah so these i think it might just be worth going through and just talking about this whole history so yeah, picking up from where you left off there's kind of a chunk of history i think that might be partially missing um from kind of when these rings get divvied out mm -hmm. and then going forward because after these rings get passed out the ring rates obviously turn from being men to being kind of just soulless yeah soulless i don't know ghosts almost they're pretty they're pretty ghost descriptive and we get a we get more descriptions of them in the later chapters i mean they're a wraith they're like wraith, that's yeah. kind of the best description there is for them yeah but so they're serving sauron anyway at this point of history which is many 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 years ago at this point in history of years ago yeah. right in middle in middle earth the men and the elves form this alliance to stop Sauron from spreading his evil across the entire continent, right? And so they mount this offensive and do battle with him, which ends with Isildur, who is the heir to the king to the throne of Gondor, one of the kingdoms of men. His dad gets killed in battle, and he goes up and tries to fight Sauron and ends up cutting off his finger on his ring hand, so removing the ring from Sauron's hand, thus kind of eliminating much of his power. So they end up winning. Isildur, like the idiot that he is, just decides, hey, I'm going to keep this super bad thing around. And so, again, like an idiot, he's just galloping down the road with a bunch of his cronies in orc country in <laughs> in orc country after winning this battle and kind of you know 
whatever. Like Sauron's pretty much gone, but whatever. So they are walking through. Orcs shoot them down, kill them, and the ring slips off a seal door, goes into this river, and floats away, not to be found again for a very long time. Yep. So then fast forward. So then what we learn is there's this town of hobbit-like people who live along this river, like to boat, like to fish, all this stuff. And on this one particular day, these two of these beings, we'll just call them hobbits because it's easier. Two of these hobbits, Smeagol and Deagle, are out fishing. And Deagle gets a bite on a fish. The fish takes him under the water and he lets go of the fish after being drawn all the way down to the riverbed because he sees something shiny in the riverbed. Mm. So he grabs this shiny thing, brings it up. And this happens to be Smeagol's birthday also. So Deagle presents this ring to Smeagol who is just smitten by it and demands that Deagle give him this ring because it's his birthday. Ends up strangling Deagle, killing him, and taking the ring for himself. Now, Smeagol puts the ring on, disappears, later figures out that he you know, can be invisible, so he starts stealing stuff from the people in his community. He ends up being kind of thrown out of his community of people. And so he leaves with the ring and goes to uh, the Misty Mountains and decides that he's going to find out whatever secrets lie in the bottom of the mountains because he's described as being a guy who's interested in the roots of things. So he goes down and becomes Gollum, which we know from The Hobbit as this kind of slimy, gross, you know, just sad creature that is, you know, obsessed with the ring and doesn't really like anything else. He's afraid of the sun. Anyway, the rest of the story goes, if you've listened to Bibliotakes, that Bilbo kind of stumbles upon the ring after Gollum drops it in Moria or in the Misty Mountains down in his cavern. Bilbo takes it out, and after his adventure, the rest is history, passes it on to Frodo. So that's how the ring gets from Sauron to Frodo. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of what this chapter is, is just kind of doing that history. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's important, though, about this chapter especially in terms of just character development. And part of the reason that Frodo is, I would say both like Bilbo by the end of the Hobbit and kind of also dissimilar to him um, at the beginning of the Hobbit is Frodo sees this ring and hearing all of the story and hearing that, Oh, not only do I have this ring of power, but Sauron has also been able to get a hold of Gollum since then. Yeah. Has tortured him and knows the name Baggins and has been told about the Shire. Yeah, so we know that because um, uh, Gandalf went searching for Gollum, and the reason that he knows this whole history is, uh, there's a couple of funny things about that. One, apparently one of Gandalf, like, so in the Council of the Wise is what is referred to as like the, basically the group of wizards. There's, we don't know how many wizards there are at this point, but we do know that they have a council. Uh, they have a leader called Saruman, who is the most wise. We'll obviously meet him later. Especially not Sauron, Saruman. Saruman. Thanks, Tolkien. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but we do know that there's a reason that Gandalf knows this is because he's gone, quote, all in on Hobbit history. Yeah. Gandalf is a Hobbit specialist when no one else is because no else it's basically no, it, no one else cares enough to learn about Hobbits, but Gandalf's like, I'm going to learn everything about Hobbits. And in this, he was tracking Gollum. Got he his met, PhD in Hobbit Yeah, he got a PhD in Hobbit lore. Dude's, dude just knows way too much about Hobbit shit. Way too much. But when he was hunting Gollum, uh, he went into the Mirkwood with a guy named Aragorn. 
Yes, sir. One of the greatest living Rangers. Um, I think the greatest, yeah. he says. Yeah. He yeah. just straight up is like, yeah, this dude is the shit. Yeah. But where they're basically wandering through Mirkwood, not on the path, but they're able to survive because this dude is so sick. He's and, out like, here. He's out here. Yeah. But that's when they learned that, that when they were chasing him and like trying to track him, that he got picked up. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So both Gandalf and Sarah uh, and not Saruman, both Gandalf and Sauron have both gotten a hold of Gollum at this point mm-hmm. and both learned this very vital information that okay, we know who has the ring the latest. It's yeah. someone named Baggins and smart enough to figure out he's from the Shire. Yeah. So Sauron knows both of these things right now, or so Gandalf assumes. So he rushes back, and that's where we are now with him talking to Frodo. Frodo is not happy. No, yeah, Frodo's he's understandably got, upset. He's got so many questions. He's like, one, why the fuck do I have this thing? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's like, oh, who dis- whose idea was it to leave it with me? And Gandalf's like, I didn't know. <laughs> That's like, it's essentially like, imagine that you got like your greatest like gift was like something you didn't really understand. It's like, oh, I got this uh, ring from my uncle. And when I throw it in the fire, it has a bunch of numbers. And you find out those numbers are the nuclear launch codes for every country (laughs) on Earth. Exactly. Like you have the master combo that can send off every nuke at once. Exactly. And you're like, like, why the fuck do I have this? Yes. Oh, and by the way, the worst people who want those nukes, they know you have it. (laughs) So but this is what makes Frodo so good. It's a few things right in a row, which just makes him the most redeemable kind of main hero character that you can have one he doesn't want this power yep he's really he's just confused and angry that he even has given this been given this to begin with right so that's first of all you like to hear that you like to hear that he isn't like oh fuck yeah like (laughs) let me get the ring yeah so that's number one secondly his reaction to this is well i'm going to have to get this out of here yeah because it was given to me and any evil coming here will likely do ill upon the Shire and everybody who lives here. Yeah. So he doesn't want it, but he knows that he's got to get it the fuck out of town. Yep. And Gandalf even like kind of suggests that not wanting the ring and being a little dubious of the benefits that it could give you is a really good way to delay the effects of corruption. And even in uh, like how you receive the ring depends on that. He talks about how when Gollum took the ring, he did it by killing to get it a right. savage act for power only. And that accelerated Gollum's corruption wildly. Mm-hmm. And when Bilbo got the ring from Gollum, remember he had the opportunity to kill Gollum when he was chasing him after they got out of Gollum's little cave, but chose not to. He It was out of like pity and mercy that he did right. that. Yeah. So that act of pity essentially also delayed it. And now Frodo being given full context of what the ring is, full knowledge of its history, its power, its place, its current uh I don't think there's a word, but there's a, there's a current, he's aware of the current effort to get it back by its evil maker. Yeah. And all this adds up to essentially Gandalf being like, you're the perfect person to mm-hmm. take this, take on this burden and just get it out of here. We'll have a plan. You won't have to deal with it anymore, but it needs to leave the Shire. Exactly. So they're having this conversation. And part of the last portion of this chapter is they stop hearing what a noise that they've been hearing the entire time during this conversation, which <laughs> is the sound of Sam cutting Frodo's uh, lawn. So basically what happens is Gandalf goes over to the window. He whips his arm out 
of it and then just grabs Sam by the ear and yanks him up through the window and is basically just, you know, accusing him of eavesdropping and saying, you know, what have you heard? What have you heard? So Sam basically admits to just hearing in bits and pieces. There's something about a ring, something about, you know, uh, he heard something about elves because Sam is obsessed with elves. And we get to this point where Gandalf is essentially just saying, Frodo, you're going to need to bring someone with you when you leave the Shire. And it looks like we found your guy. So Sam accidentally kind of just enlists himself on this journey and he couldn't be more perfect. Sam Ganji absolutely has no business doing this. No, but, but he's he, the perfect guy. Yeah. Because he, he couldn't be more devoted to Frodo. That's And that's really what he was doing. He's like, we're because of his position as someone who has been working essentially for Frodo's family. Like he was like Sam's dad was Bilbo's gardener. Yeah. And so Sam's carrying on the family business. The old gaffer. And yeah, the old gaffer Gamgee and Samwise was basically like, I'm just going to take it up. And there's no reason not to, because the bag are super cool and I like working for him. So he's known Frodo for years. Right. And is very used to working under him and doing things for him. And Gandalf's kind of like, Hey, what are you doing? Oh, actually, not a bad idea. I've heard of worse ideas. Exactly. Congratulations, kid. You're going to meet the elves. And chapter two ends with him going, oh, I'm going to meet like the elves. Like, this is so sick. So he's already like bought into. Yeah. He like knows that there's bad stuff out there. But if he's excited to go with Frodo and is used to working for him, Gandalf's like sweet. Yeah. So immediately in this chapter, we get an idea right away of who Frodo is as our hero character. Basically just figuring out, OK, this guy is an unwilling hero but super down to do what he needs to. Yep. And we get the development just right off the bat of the sidekick kind of where Sam is just ride or die yep. for Frodo Very and cool. it will go anywhere Frodo is going to go no matter what. Mm-hmm. So that's the end of chapter two, the shadow of the past. Yes. Chapter three comes in in a pretty chapter three's name is three's company. Uh, we know that because in the effort to get ready, Frodo enlists um, another friend of his, uh, Peregrine Took. Mm-hmm. Everyone calls him Pippin. No one calls him really Peregrine. Uh, but uh, he is, um, being a Took, one of uh, Frodo's relations cousins. So not a direct cousin, but they've grown up together. Really, really good friends. Him and Sam are younger than Frodo, but similar age. And again, Hobbit age is so much different. They live so much longer that like if they're 10 years younger than him, it doesn't really make a difference. Yeah. But they're, I really identify with Frodo being like, all right, so he was told by Gandalf, we're going to get ready and go again. I'm going to leave. It happens like yep and for, he's kind of and then he comes back and he's trying to get in frodo going note, my first note is just gandalf leaves again yeah gandalf <laughs> does leave again but not before basically being like frodo you ready to go and frodo's like oh i haven't packed yet he's had like months to get ready yeah which is just like i get it yeah been there my guy <laughs> and uh the and so when they finally decide to leave they're gonna they do it because gandalf hasn't shown up so gandalf left and he's like i just gotta take care of some you know some more like wizard business trademark logo just like i gotta go i'll be back and he doesn't come back he doesn't come back for a while he yeah he, he never he, he never just does. never comes back yep and so they're basically like we got to do this like it's it's uh it's, it's like we, we were gonna do this in june it's like october right now we need to leave yeah so the plan initially was like if gandalf doesn't get back by frodo and he keeps saying our birthday because he still throws he's so used to every it every year. He's so used to it with Bilbo. With him and Bilbo, yeah. So, But the original plan was if Gandalf doesn't come back before it, their birthday, they'll leave directly after that. 
So that's kind of where we are. Uh, I want to just, and then so basically they decide like him, Sam and uh, Pippin sit down for like one last meal at bag end. And I absolutely love it. Cause at this point he's sold everything too. So everyone it's so unlike um, when um, Bilbo left, he just left in a hurry. They assumed he was dead. They had an estate sale by the time he was coming back. Frodo has sold everything to the Sackville Bagginses. Um, everyone's kind of like a little wary of that because apparently no one likes the Sackville Baggins, which is just like, like again, I love it. I get it. Like, I love it. These they people suck. suck. They suck. Um, and uh, he left everything to them except for Bilbo's wine. So that's what they're drinking during this last dinner. They're just getting tanked. And the plan, quote unquote, is that he's going to move back to brandy buck where he's where frodo was initially from uh remember bilbo adopted him from there brought him to the to hobbiton um and so it's basically a kind of like neat excuse to get, walk through the shire with all your shit on your back without people getting suspicious about anything They're like oh i know he's moving yeah he's, he's moving, moving back, back to yeah. yeah like it just it's just logical it's actually a really great plan yeah and, because every, as he knows oh bilbo got up and left and everybody just won't stop fucking talking about it. yeah so he's like all right if i want to get out of here with as little talk about it as possible mm-hmm. i need a real reason because he also knows that people are after him people are going to be talking people are looking for the baggins name so the less people are saying baggins in regular conversation is better and conveniently also brandy buck is on the eastern edge of the shire so so if it's any, a perfect location for them to slip out of the shire yep so basically anytime anyone would see them move through they'd be towards the direction of brandy buck and then once they're in brandy buck they can just hightail it out of here no, no one will be the wiser it's a great plan uh they have their last night in um bag end before they pick up and go and it's so funny this Tolkien says that they just made this big ass dinner and then left all the dishes for for the sackville bag <laughs> to clean up just awesome i love my that. guys i, I love that. it <laughs> yeah um, so they leave the dishes in there. Um, and they're basically, they start walking, they're going, it's like just adventure descriptions. It's very similar to when Bilbo left the Shire. Um, but these guys run into problems right away. It's like they're, they're walking through the woods and, uh, it's really hot. Sometimes it's raining. Sometimes it's like, they're already just like, oh, you know, adventures just begun and we're just kind of struggling through it. Yeah. And uh, at one <laughs> the, point, the introduction of adventures to hobbits is a, is always great. And Bilbo honestly got a far more oh. abrupt introduction because like right off the bat, he was, you know, the risk of being eaten by trolls. And these guys are like complaining about weather. Yeah. They're like, it's cold. <laughs> also, there's this really random like fox interlude yeah. where they're walking through the woods and they're like kind of kind of like uh, stop for something. And then that cuts to like a fox. Well, they go to sleep. Yeah, they go to sleep and like a fox sees them. They go to sleep and a fox comes in and speaks about like, oh, this is weird. I've never seen hobbits sleeping outside like this before. And then it's just over. Yeah. Okay. So they set no watch. Even Frodo feared no danger yet, for they were still in the heart of the Shire. A few creatures came and looked at them when they uh, when the fire had died away. A fox passing through the woods on business of his own stopped several minutes and sniffed. Hobbits, he thought. Well, what's next? I've heard of strange doings in this land, and I have seldom heard of hobbits sleeping out of doors under a tree. Three of them. There's something mighty queer behind this. And he might he was quite right, but he never found out any more about it. And then we just never follow up <laughs> yeah. on this fucking fox. Nope. Just pondering these guys, which is just it's really weird. Fox I don't know why he did the it. story forever. Yeah. I don't know why I did it. It was like it was like I was just had to like I actually like stopped and like reread those two paragraphs. Cause I like thought I read it wrong. I just kind I was of like, amounted it to, this is almost like Tolkien and CS Lewis getting together. And yeah. Talking. And he's like, you know what? There should be in talking animal somewhere <laughs> in here. 
<laughs> like, yeah. why the fuck not? <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, he's like, in the last one, my talking animal was a dragon. No, yeah, I, I want more, more one hundred foot view stuff. Yeah, exactly. like that. So, like, exactly. so, so talking animals in the in our Tolkien world is not uh, reserved to eagles, giant eagles, and dragons. I'm at this point. I'm running a fox. At this point, I'm running under the assumption that like the majority of animals can at least like think in complete sentences, which is really funny. Mm-hmm. Um. And so they're walking through the woods and at one point they're walking and they hear like horse tracks behind them and a weird breathing noise and it just doesn't feel right. They decide that at least until they can come back, at least until they know what it is, they're going to scatter on the side of the road. Sam and uh, Pippin go under um, into a ditch in the side of the road. Uh, Frodo goes on the other end of the road and hides behind a tree so he can take a look at what's behind him. And this is when we get our first physical description of the ring wraith, Mm -hmm. but they don't know it yet. It's described as a massive full size horse. So this is a big person. They know they're not dealing with another hobbit. It's an all black horse. And the person is wearing an entirely black cloak hood. And the only thing that isn't black are their gauntlets and their uh, silver, like metal steel riding boots. Mm -hmm. And, the person stops right where they left the road and just like looks left and right. And Bilbo can't recognize what's in the face because it's just blackness mm-hmm. inside the hood is like a deep invisible blackness. And he's like hunched over his horse. Like he's like listening. Frodo thinks that he like hears like sniffing, like he's trying to smell them. Mm-hmm. And it's a really creepy kind of just like, like the only sound that they heard was like his sniffing. And then like the wind and the trees and the horse wasn't even making any noise. Really, really creepy, but super cool descriptions from him. And eventually they got the rider that they call it dark rider. The dark rider Mm -hmm. just gives up, continues down the road at like a decent trot. So he's out of there pretty quickly and they come back. um, So Frodo, Sam and Pippin come back and they're like, what the fuck was that? So also (laughs) big suspects. Also, one of the weird parts about that is while this ring wraith is walking along the road and sniffing around for Frodo, we get a description of Frodo feeling this urge to put the ring on his finger. Yes. And so it's so much so, and it's almost just like inadvertent that he like feels his hand kind of like feeling around for it, for his ring in his pocket. So he never ends up putting it on, but it's just really kind of eerie and creepy that while this thing is looking for them, Frodo is just like trying to reason with himself why he should use the ring. Oh yeah. And uh, so basically they're like, okay, that was weird time to just keep going. But they're like, I, I really think that we should uh, just like keep going. They keep going again. And then they hear the same footsteps again, a little bit later on yep. and they're bare. All right. Same plan. They just dash to the end and they're hiding. Uh, same things. Frodo's by himself. This time the guy stops and actually dismounts from his horse. Yeah. And at this point, as soon as he gets off his horse, Frodo realizes that he has that same urge to put the ring on, but his hand's like already in his pocket and he's like fiddling with it. And there's an incredibly creepy description of what the ring wraith does. I'm just going to read it because I really love it. The sound of hoof stops. As Frodo watched, he saw something dark pass across the lighter space between the trees and then halt. It looked like the black shade of a horse by a smaller black shadow. The black shadow stood close to the point where they had left the path, and it swayed from side to side. Frodo thought he heard the sound of snuffling. The shadow then bent to the ground, and then began to crawl towards him. Once more he 
he desired to slip on the ring, but this time it was stronger than before, so strong that almost before he realized what he was doing, his hand was groping in his pocket. But at that moment, there came a sound like a mingled song. Clear voice rose and fell in the starlit air. The black shadow straighted up and retreated. So basically, Frodo was seconds away from putting on the ring because this ring wraith is on all fours, like sniffing the ground, crawling towards him. Yeah, super creepy. Horror movie. Horror movie stuff and really really captivating descriptions by everything but essentially what we find out is that a, a group of elves is just walking through and the elves startle the ring wraith and the ring wraith bugs out of there mm-hmm. then we find out that there are some elves here and the elves are walking through they're singing some songs um they're high elves we know this because of the song that they're singing um just also a little bit of a clarifying um point we're going to be talking about people singing uh, a lot of songs in this book. We will so not many. be talking about the overwhelming majority of them. Yeah, correct. A lot of songs in this book. So many. Uh, but anyway, so the so the elves are passing through and then they stop at the same part of the path that the um, ring race stopped on when they left. Basically, and you should just expect if we ever meet elves, we run into them as they're singing. As they're singing. Um but this one elf who's like they assume is the leader stops and then just fires from the hip and is like hey frodo what's up yeah and, like, and they're <laughs> like oh what basically he's like oh and frodo you're with some people like i hear they just know there's no him from yeah from walking along with bilbo in the past he's like you've never seen us but we've seen you yep dude creepy big creepy but these guys are like they're not that creepy and he's basically like what are you doing out here why are you doing this and they're like they're like, he's like, oh, our business is our own. And he's like, oh, oh, is it? Yeah. What's your what's your fucking business, Frodo? I know what you're he's like, I know. I know you. Yeah. You think you're better than me? I know you. <laughs> no, exactly. But basically, they're like, why were you like hiding? And he's like, right. Oh, well, we actually had this really creepy thing happen to us. And they like describe the ring race to them. And the elves immediately are like, come with us. Yeah. Like, no, you come with go. me if you want to live. Yep. The great little fantasy trip. But yes, essentially just you're gonna you're gonna spend the night with us like no, yeah. no more of this walking alone bullshit right uh so sam is <laughs> until tomorrow <laughs> and also I, I made a quick note that like uh they they really like frodo too because he uh speaks high elvish to them a little and, like bit, a little, yeah. little bit of a greeting and it's like oh like he's like, I was like oh the duolingo premium payments are uh are coming off well man like yeah you're level 14 on high elvish that's pretty cool man yeah they're very impressed with with frodo it, at least his attempts at just saying thank you and you know general kind of greetings and things like that yep so. uh and it, it obviously has to be mentioned that bilbo's reputation with the elves is definitely carrying a lot of weight with this for sure and sam is just dumbfounded my guy is so pumped right now he's floored they get back to the elf little like cabin that they have in the woods yeah it's it's described as their you know their home but kind of like bjorn's home from the hobbit it's very just kind of naturey so the pillars are you know trees with a canopy that's just their leaves over it so I don't know if this is what you felt, but I just got the kind of idea that this is more or less just open air. Yeah, like just a treehouse too. Yeah, like on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So that's kind of what I felt. But there's a fire in the middle, and you know, classic like let's eat and drink. Uh, Sam says he's going to stay up the whole time. Big boy knocks out. He's at he's asleep at Frodo's feet. Like oh, little guy. <laughs> oh, oh, little and, guy. And, so cute and basically so precious. So we so we learn that the um uh the, the 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 only elf that's named is the leader. His name is Gildor, and Gildor and Frodo kind of have a long discussion, and they're just talking about what the journey lies ahead is going to be like. 
What? Gildor says, I'm just going to say this now. Gildor is mostly unhelpful. Yeah. Like they, there's this point where Frodo says, oh, there's a, there's this saying, it's like, don't ask an elf for help because they're only going to give you guarded advice. Yeah. Like, which they'll is say like, yes and no at the same time. And he's like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's like, dude, here's what you do. You grab our guy Frodo and you get him to where he needs to go safely. That's what you could do. But no, it's like, why are we talking to you right now? Yeah. Like, thanks for helping out. But like, why are we spending time hearing you say like, oh, yeah, it could be dangerous. Essentially, all Gildor does. And this is like a brief summary of their conversation. He serves to confirm that Bilbo is doing the right thing by leaving Frodo. You're Frodo. Yeah. yeah. He he confirms Frodo did the right thing by leaving. He I doubt he knows everything about the ring and everything. No. Like that, but he's like, look we know there's people looking for you and they are servants of the evil that's mm-hmm. sweeping the land east of here. Correct. Um, which is really all he needs to be. And he's just because he's like, okay, Bill, well, you're doing the right thing. Uh, you're going to want to, or Frodo, God, uh, I gotta have to get the Hobbit out of my head, man. Yep. Hopefully that'll happen. In a little we'll bit. get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Uh, and that's what he does when they wake up. Uh, Frodo finds that the elves are gone, but they left breakfast for him. That's really nice. Yeah, so that's how that chapter ends. Uh, the last chapter is the shortest one in this section. By uh, a lot. By yeah. a lot. It's called A Shortcut to Mushrooms. So we pick up right where we left off, where they wake up, they're, they eat breakfast, and they kind of determine, based on conversations that they had with Gildor and their two experience experiences with these ring wraiths uh, the day before, like, I don't want to go on the road anymore because that's yeah. what they've been doing. So Frodo suggests, all right, let's take a shortcut across country. So let's not take the road, which... Pippin is basically like, no, don't do that because the road is way faster than trying to cut across country. Frodo's like, I don't care what you say. This thing is after us and wants to kill us. So we're going to go across country. So they decide to do that. Basically what happens is as they're walking along, they keep kind of like looking over their shoulder and in the far distance, like they see this rider still. So this rider's after them. Yeah. But what ends up happening is uh, they get to this kind of open space after crossing through, you know, a couple streams and going through some forests and stuff that they get to this field that is farmer maggots field. Honestly, the most unfortunate name. Truly. Yeah. I mean, token, you can name the guy anything. You, you had the opportunity to do anything and you named him maggot. He could have been like Joe. Anyway. Yeah. So we find out that farmer maggot and Frodo well, and all the hobbits really have a history. With Frodo, it happens to be that when Frodo was a little kid, he stole mushrooms from Father or Father Farmer Maggot's land, his fields, and Farmer Maggot sent these his dogs, his famous dogs, apparently, after Frodo and chased him to the Brandy Buck um, uh, ferry. But with Pippin, Pippin's kind of a fan of him, and so they're like, "All right, well, let's cut across his field and take our chances with the dogs." So they start doing that and eventually they are indeed confronted by these dogs and by Farmer Maggot, who then invites them in after hearing who they are, saying, oh, Pippin, good to see you. Frodo, it's been a while. Remember those mushrooms? Ha <laughs> ha, come uh, on in. <laughs> also, there's a great bit where um, uh, Sam, the, the token says that Sam is like not into Farmer Maggot, but just because he's extremely suspicious of like people from other parts of the Shire and his suspicion is reciprocated when he's like, he's like, Frodo, I'm glad you're moving back to Brandy Buck. Those uh, Hobbiton folk, they really don't know how to live. And Sam's like, oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, I knew it. A little bit of civil rivalry. <laughs> um, but anyway, so 
<clears throat> in short, father, father, fuck, God damn it. Farmer Maggot. Father Maggot. Father Maggot. I'm just going to keep calling him that. Father Maggot brings him <laughs> into the house and they eat and they discuss uh, what's been chasing them because the ring wraith has already been to Farmer Maggot's house. Mm. And Farmer Maggot basically told him to get on, get basically go away and yeah the the ring wraith was like i choose not to kill you right now and then exactly. leaves exactly <laughs> like exactly far- farmer maggots talking big tough to the hobbits right now and they're like dude <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but the hobbit yeah exactly but basically the the hobbits confirm kind of everything maggot says about this ring wraith and maggot offers to uh bring them to the fairy in his mm-hmm. cart so all three of the hobbits and maggot get into the cart and take off in the dark towards the brandy buck ferry. As they get there, they again see this figure of a horse and a rider coming out of the fog um, towards them. And so Frodo kind of gets down in the cart and hides a little bit and Sam and Pippin get out and they're just like, who are you? What are you doing? And the riders like, I want Baggins. And then it just ends up being Mary, like super anticlimactic. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, Mary, Mary, you're part of the party now. And then Mary's like, cool, hops on the ferry. Also, I don't know if we've start. mentioned Mary yet. Mary is another one of Frodo's really close friends. Yep. Cousin, same distant relationship. Yeah. Mary Doc. Uh, what is he? He's something. We'll figure it out anyway. So Mary Doc, he's also related to Bilbo or Frodo somehow. And they're all really good friends. So at this point, they are at the edge of uh this river ready to cross on the ferry to go over to Brandybuck and um they get one last kind of laugh in as maggot gives them a basket from his wife and much to frodo's amusement it is just a basket of mushrooms yeah all right he's like okay you you got jokes okay yeah very <laughs> very funny this this fucking farmer is gonna get killed one of these days dude he's just he's all jokes there's a black rider with an invisible face and a soundless horse and he's just talking shit to him yeah Ugh. this dude is clearly capable of just lop, lopping his head off yeah he's just like what's up what's up man want to talk some shit anyway so that's the end of this section so brings us to the end of chapter four a shortcut to mushrooms and we are left at the edge um waiting to cross the brandy buck ferry yeah cody big takeaways from this big takeaways was uh number one overall token has really stepped up his game both literally in terms of like literarily in terms of writing style yeah. descriptive words length of chapter overall detail it's way different from the hobbit from the first page you get that sense. From, yeah look at the first page it's an entirely he's he this book this trilogy came out sometime after the hobbit and he my guy was practicing oh you, my you gosh can, you can tell he has written the entirety of what's going on right now he obviously didn't finish everything before he died but he really knew what he was talking about when he wrote this book he didn't start chapter one he went thousands of years in the back to perfectly build around everything yeah and then decided this whole world just totally thought out and that's why i thought it was like that's one of my big takeaways too is one of my favorite parts of this is just hearing about the history of the ring in chapter two oh yeah and so cool the fact like the just reading that and reading about how well it just fits completely. Yep. And honestly, 
people could say like, oh, like that's so, that's so lucky that things happen. It's like, okay, yeah, but these are happening hundreds of years. Like these are events that are happening hundreds of years apart from oh, each yeah. other. So it's like, yeah, there's some luck involved, but you have to also take into account that this ring has magical properties, yada, yada, yada. But anyway, this whole story just like fits so well yep. that like you said, it's clearly so thought out this whole history of this world and how everything works together, which is something that you don't feel as much in the Hobbit no. because it's so focused on what's happening in the present yep. with the exception of just the history of smog and the dwarves. Yeah. You can tell that he had a lot. He had like when, when Tolkien wrote the Hobbit, he had a really good idea of what he wanted and he had a lot of it fleshed out. Yeah. But this time it's even more. It's, it's way, way, way more. And you can even see like when you're going through things, Gandalf will talk about something and you'll be like, oh, what's that? And they'll move on just essentially just in opening up more and more doors for potential history to learn about. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, this is more of a personal thing. But um, in chapter two, when Gandalf is talking about um, uh, basically how Eaton. Gollum was distorted heavily by the ring, but didn't, uh, wasn't fully gone, obviously. And also was, mm-hmm. th- that's true because when he talked to Bilbo, a part of him was revived. Shout out to my rhetorical analysis from episode two of Bibliotheques. I was right. That was a sweet guess on my part. And what, I, what did you say? I, don't I said remember. that, uh, part of why, uh, Gollum didn't kill Bilbo is cause he kind of recognized the Hobbit in him and his presence in the, with the ring kind of brought something out of him that he hadn't remembered in a long time. Hmm. We can check the tapes, but I know I called it. Pulled up from 50 on that one. All right. <laughs> That's just a personal thing. But I'm really excited to keep going on in the story. Um, I can tell uh, that I'm going to really, really enjoy the rest of it. Tolkien's really painting a world in your head when you're reading this. It's really incredible. Yeah, for sure. And it's it doesn't read as quickly, especially as The Hobbit does. Well, yeah, because he also like doubled the chapter length. Yeah. Each time. So, uh, I think I mean we're gonna do our best to get everything in, but it's also like my thinking is like there's so much more that we gotta kind of cram in here. Yeah. So. Yeah, just for context, the longest chapter in the Hobbit was Mirkwood. It was 29 pages. Uh, chapter one, on my count, was like 25 pages. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was long. So, anyway, I'm excited for this. Um, I'm excited to keep reading. Next week we'll get chapters. Oh, real quick, uh, yeah. Gollum and Smeagol. Yeah. What? What? What about you for the? Oh, yeah. my Gollum and Smeagol for the week. Let's see. We didn't do it for the last one, but that's fine because we it was the last episode of the Hobbit. It anyway. was. It was pretty short. There wasn't. Yeah. We kind of talked about what we liked and didn't like about the book anyway. So right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, fucking Thorin. Good God. Uh, <laughs> to hear more takes about Thorin, listen to episodes one through five of Bibliotheques. Yeah. Um, let's see. Smeagol of the week. Frodo basically just saying it's going to be me. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And he also, there's like an understanding from the beginning. It's not like I'm going to deliver this to someone else who can take this potentially to Mount Doom for me. Oh, I don't think we even mentioned that. But we find out that the ring needs to be destroyed. And the only way to do that is by putting it in Mount Doom. Yeah. This volcano in the middle of Mordor. Yeah. It's also, it's like described as the only volcano in Middle Earth called, there's no word for volcano. It's just fire mountain. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, sorry for missing that. No, no. Yeah. Anyway. um, But yeah, that's my uh, Smeagol of the week is Frodo just... 
kind of understanding, okay, I got to get this out of here. And not only that, but I may end up being the one that's got to take this all the way to Mount Doom. Slash die. There's a slash die. Say. There's this understanding from and right off the bat that I may never come home. And yep. he kind of thinks that he won't from the beginning. So that's that. Um, let's see. Golem of the week. Dude, the Sackville Baggins Dude, is sucked for sure. Like for they're sure. just so like quippy and the most passive aggressive people on the planet. Oh, they're so bad. Frodo has to chase Lothelia out of the house and like she has like things stolen in her like closed umbrella. And when he when he ends up selling it to her, I'm just imagining, oh, this would be so this would grind my gears, dude. She comes with a full inventory of what she's supposed to get. I'm like, this lady sucks. She sucks. So bad. So that whole family, that side of the Baggins family is my my golem of the of the week. Really good one. Uh, my Smeagol, like I said, was uh, calling it in episode two of last one. I'm just going to hold that one onto myself. Oh, I'm not entirely sure. What what are you saying you called? So, okay. That the reason Bilbo didn't kill him or Gollum didn't kill him? No, no, no. So the reason Gollum, I, I said in episode two of Bibliotheques okay. that um, part of why uh, Gollum was acting so differently to Bilbo than oh. anything else that enters into his cave was because he was a hobbit. And even though he hadn't seen a hobbit in a lot of, a long time, so like that plus the ring reminded him of that. That's why they're playing riddles and hmm. not, he wasn't sneaking up behind him to kill him. Okay. I said that in episode two. And then we read that in chapter two of fellowship. And I was like, I was fucking right. <laughs> okay. That's just for me. Everyone else. That's fine. Don't worry about that. But that's mine. <laughs> yeah. My golem of the week is probably, uh, it's, I think it's, Oh, I've got yeah, another one too, by the you way. You have another one? Yeah. Well, you can take, I, I you don't can, think I disliked much about this. The Sackville Baggins, you already said that that's easy. That's probably that's what I would have done. They're easily the most amount of like, not fun do, in this stretch. Do you want to know another one of mine? Yeah, sure. The fact on. that Sam was like, oh yeah, I had this thing that I could have told you about this ominous rider. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't mention this either, but uh, yeah, Sam, Sam dumb moment. Number one. Yeah. But at during like right before Frodo is about to leave bag end, he notices that there's this rider, uh, one of the dark riders that shows up to, um, the gaffer Gamgee's house and starts questioning him about Baggins and the gaffer tells him that he left and Sam knows about this because he was at the house at the time, but neglects to tell Frodo about any of the things that his father had told the writer until they experienced the writer on the road. for the first. So, time. so yeah, so that's a good one. I might, I might have to steal that one because yeah. so Sam is going on a trip with Frodo and Frodo explains to him how dangerous it is because he has something that makes dangerous people look for him by name. And <laughs> Sam, hmm. like days ago, hmm. had his dad be like, yeah, there was a really weird guy, very threatening looking on a horse asking for your friend Frodo by name. You know how those big people never like, come um, into town? Yeah, you know how those There things, was one here. Yeah, and you, yeah the, you know the thing that never happens that you always take note of because hobbits are the most passive aggressive yeah. Like creatures maybe created in fiction. Minnesotans kind of. No, in fiction. Yeah. 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 I can't imagine if they had cars, dude, it'd be the worst. Oh my God. would be non-existent. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's like, he's like, oh yeah, maybe I should. And even like it's described as Frodo being like, God, I really wish you would have fucking told me about that before this guy's sniffing for me mm-hmm. in the, in the tall grass. Like this yep. is just awful, dude. Like, yeah. Maybe we could have gotten a heads up about that. 
whatever. Yeah, that's turn a good your, one. Turn your brain on. <laughs> Dude, we are in danger mode right now. Yeah. Like, like, I know you're excited to, like, meet elves and, like, be outdoors and stuff. Yeah. But this is, it's, it's the real deal right now. <laughs> Sam is so loyal and dumb. <laughs> Wake up. He's just, a, at this point, he's essentially just, like, if a golden retriever yeah. could speak. Anyway, so that is our recap of chapters one through four. Next week, we'll hit you with five through eight, five, six, seven, eight. Yep. Um, and that'll take us almost to the end of book one of two So within this. And so, yeah, this is a good time to point out that when we refer to it like that, the book, the fellowship, the two towers and the story of Return of the King, they're broken down into two books per literal physical book. So every story has two books. Book one for the Fellowship of the Ring goes through chapter one through chapter 12. And then book through has another chapter one going through chapter 10. And that is the end of the Fellowship of the Ring. So when you hear us go like in between like book one and book two of the Fellowship, that's what we're talking about. Correct. So next week through chapter eight. Um, yeah. I think that's just about it. Cody, got anything else? That's it. All right. Well, we will see everybody next week. Later. See you guys. Thank you.